You know, I, I was reading some articles today and uh, yesterday just about treasure. People find treasure in all kinds of unlikely places. You know, you hear about the guy who finds the $1 million lotto ticket in the, in the garbage and nobody scratched it off, so he scratches it. And there's a million dollars. Or this one lady, um, she found there was a car kind of a, on, in the ditch there, and she found this uh, um, violin. And uh, here, a number of years down the road, and a number of different things, it's changed hands a little bit, and, and it was a $800,000 Stradivarius violin, which I don't think they got the 800000 for it because it was illegally obtained it had been stolen um and then i i was also reading about this guy um he had been given a cup by his grandfather and it had these funny little faces it was kind of brass and he would use it he was a young guy and he, he had a pellet gun so he would shoot use it as a target and a number of years later when he was packing and leaving um a bit older he, he decided well i'll get it see what somebody says about it so it's kind of an old object, and here it, they found out that it was a Persian cup from, I forget how many years ago, pure gold, and uh, so he got about $60,000 for that artifact. So his uh, grandfather didn't know what he was giving his son. But as Christians, the thing is, we have the greatest treasure in the whole world. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ. There's nothing more valuable than Himself. Knowing Him as Savior and Lord, for there is nothing and no one better than Him. You know, even our best falls short of His worth. Even the world's best cannot compete with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul writes to the Philippians in our text for this morning, he writes to remind them that Christ alone is our joy. Christ alone is our boast. That He alone is our confidence. He writes to remind them that those who give up all to gain Christ have gained the best thing. They have not lost. They have gained the greatest return of all. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ. Simple message, but so important that we understand, remember, and believe this truth. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, we are going to begin by reading verses 1 and 2, and we'll continue on throughout the message all the way to verse 11. But we'll begin uh, Philippians 3 and reading verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 begins this way. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and a safeguard for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Amen. What a great way to begin, hey? Well, as Paul begins this new section, he highlights rejoicing in the Lord. And we've seen this theme of joy repeated throughout Philippians, rejoicing in all circumstances. 
Paul was able to rejoice even in his time of trial in prison. And uh, we come to this theme again. What I want you to notice here is that Paul says that our rejoicing comes in the Lord. What he is saying is that our rejoicing isn't based in the world. It isn't based in our situation. The true joy comes from knowing Jesus, from having a relationship with him, being in him. And that's what Paul is driving towards here in our passage. But he moves on. He takes a moment in the second half of verse 1 to say something um, seems at first a little bit disconnected, but it is connected. So let's read 1b. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. Now, at first glance, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the joy of knowing Jesus, but it very much does. He's writing about an imminent threat to their joy in the Lord. Should they listen to these people, these dogs and evildoers, as he calls them? And we shall see that his answer to that threat is going to be to remind them of the value of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we remember the value of the Lord Jesus Christ and our joy in knowing him, that is what will strengthen us as we watch out. That is what will keep us as we watch out for these things. So what's that all about? Dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. I mean, who is Paul calling dogs? Well, in the early days of the church, there was a group of people that in the book of Acts are called the circumcision group. Um, Many people have referred to them uh, also as the Judaizers. And these were people who believed that God's people must accept the yoke of the Jewish law. And so they taught that Gentile believers had to be circumcised if you're a man, and become Jews in order to be saved. They were adding to the gospel, essentially. They're saying you need Christ, but you folks who are Gentiles, you also need circumcision. You have to become an Israelite, in essence. And now the apostles dealt with that in many places in Scripture, Uh, One example in Acts 15, this is really the first place that they spoke against this. They taught that we are saved by grace, whether Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter who it was. The Lord had poured out his spirit upon all peoples that they might believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And so they taught that circumcision doesn't save anyone. But this teaching continued to be a threat in many of the churches. And so Paul addressed it in in all sorts of different places. In the churches of Galatia, this was a big issue. It comes up a lot there. 
In fact, the point of his letter is to speak against these folks and to remind the Galatians of the true gospel. Well, here, Paul spends a few verses talking about this, reminding them, he says, of stuff that he had talked to them before, and he says, this is a safeguard for you. It's not a troublesome thing for me to repeat this. This is an important message for you to hear again. He warns them to watch out, that they would not believe these things, these teachings of Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus anything else. And Paul calls these teachers dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. But, you know, when, when Paul says that, he's just not... He's not just flinging mud at them. He's not just name-calling. He has a purpose behind the things that he's saying. He's exposing the folly of their teaching. You know, the long and short of it is that these self-proclaimed pure, righteous, and holy people were putting their confidence in circumcision and keeping the law rather than God's grace through Christ. And so in their hearts, they were unclean dogs and evildoers. And really, their act of circumcision was no better than the pagans cutting themselves to appease the gods. It was meaningless. It was worthless. These things that they were priding themselves in, being confident in. So that was the false teachers and those who followed them. They were not... Sincere in their faith, they sought to add to the work of Jesus Christ. They did not believe Christ alone could save or see that he is the greatest treasure. For they prized circumcision and these outward acts as more important or equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had put their confidence in themselves. And there are many such people like this to this day. People who have a form of godliness but deny the power of Christ. Deny that He alone can save. So what about us then? Where is our confidence? As those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, where should it be? Verse 3 continues. For we, speaking to the church, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul refers here to all believers as the circumcision or the true circumcision. That's an amazing thing to say. Because most of the Philippian church were uncircumcised Gentiles. But by faith in Christ, they were a part of the true people of God. People with not just not outwardly circumcision, but the circumcision of the heart. Their hearts were changed, captured by the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for him, faith in him. There were people who worshiped by the spirit of God and Glory or boast in Christ Jesus. 
You know, this word boast refers to a glad exulting about what is most valuable to us. A glad rejoicing about the thing that things that we most value. You know, whatever enraptures you, whatever delights you, whatever excites you, that's the stuff you boast about. You talk about it. You can't get enough of it. So what is the Christian's boast? Paul says that we are those whose boast is in Christ Jesus. Just as we sang this morning, that Christ is our hope, that it is Christ alone we trust in. He is the Christian's pride and joy. And Paul also says, he makes it even more clear, he says that we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. See, there's the other side of it. If your confidence and your boast is in the Lord, then you put no confidence in other things. In other words, he's saying our boast is not in human achievements. Our boast, our rejoicing is not in earthly joys. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence is in him alone. Paul wants us to know that the believer's hope, the believer's confidence is not in our worthiness. It's in the worthiness of of Christ. His beauty and goodness is what shines forth in the life of the Christian, not our own. And so Paul continues to remind us that nothing compares to Christ. And he speaks in verses 4 to 11 of the transformation in his own heart and life. His heart circumcision, if you will. How he went from a man whose confidence was in the flesh to a man whose only confidence was Jesus Christ. So let's read then in verses 4 to 6 about who he was. Paul tells them, look, verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if somebody thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, will I have more? And and here is where his confidence lay, verses 5 to 6. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. You look at this list, at least from a human perspective, we can see that Paul had a lot of reasons to boast in the flesh, particularly in his Jewish context. You know, maybe the Greeks wouldn't have said he had much to boast in, but they might boast in other things, right? And so Paul highlights here seven reasons that he had for boasting. Four of them had to do with his birth, and we see the last three had to do with his achievements. He was circumcised on the eighth day, as all Jewish people were. He was of the nation of Israel. And the people of the uh, the Jewish people prided themselves in being the nation whom God had chosen. We are sons of Abraham, the Pharisees said to, to Jesus, and he said otherwise. 
And he was also of the tribe of Benjamin. He was of a respected tribe. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's a way of saying that as far as everything Hebrew went, he, he, he met that. You know, in those days, Paul didn't live in, in Israel. He didn't live in Judea or Jerusalem. He studied there later in his life, but he grew up in Tarsus among a pagan world. And yet he had not in any way, nor had it, has his family compromised their heritage or their culture or their religion. They stood apart. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now as to the law, Paul says that he's a Pharisee. This is number five. He followed the strictest religious tradition within Judaism. And as to zeal, his zeal was such that he persecuted the followers of Jesus Christ. His righteousness, as far as the law was concerned, he was blameless in the sight of man. They could not accuse him of having broken the law in an outward sense. In all these things, Paul was confident. And humanly speaking, you could say he had every reason to be. Look at all he had attained in his religious zeal. Look at who he was by birth. He, would, he would, must have been favored by God, the Jewish might have, people might have said. This was Paul with his confidence in the flesh in all these different things. And what about you and I? What are the seven things that we or you and I put our confidence in? I'm sure they'd be different than Paul's. Each one of us different than one another. But what are they? What are the things that compete for your heart? These things that you treasure. Perhaps your confidence lies in a prayer that you pray. Maybe a job that you have. Or your reputation around town. Or maybe it's in the success of your children or in your acts of service. That's just five. You're beginning to get an idea of those things that you cherish, those things that you would say are valuable to you, you would point to and say, that makes me a good person or important. For Paul... It was his heritage and his religious achievements. Yet he came to see them as nothing in comparison with the confidence of knowing Christ. The joy of knowing Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. So I want to read now the rest of Paul's testimony. Beginning in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's where Paul really focuses in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes in verse 7 that that what once was gained to me, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The words translated gain and loss are, are financial terms. You may picture a balance sheet. You have your assets on one side and you have your liabilities on the other. And what Paul is saying is that what once seemed like such an asset, it was such a treasure, my heritage, my achievements. I now see these things as, as a liability. It's actually quite worthless and I would, would gladly give it up so that I might know Jesus. Now that's not to say that everything Paul valued was then evil. His heritage was what it was and he couldn't change who his parents were nor did it matter. But that's the point. That these things don't matter in an ultimate sense. They do not Save, they are not something we can place our confidence in, our joy in, or our worth in. It is our confidence in these things that is so dead wrong. Such things may be good, but Christ is far better. I mean, it's wonderful to have a godly heritage or to have a zeal for the law. Passion for these sorts of things. But how much more wonderful, how much more important is it to value Christ and seek him? For if you seek other things and miss Jesus Christ, you have nothing. No matter how high of a righteousness or a power or a wisdom that you have, that the world is capable of. It's not worth more than Jesus. He's God. He is of infinitely more value and more worth and more power and more wisdom and more righteousness than we have. So when Paul refers in verse 8 to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, he's saying in his strongest language as possible, our greatest treasures are worth nothing compared to him. They're worth nothing compared to the supreme value of knowing Jesus. Our greatest works mean nothing. They aren't assets. Jesus is the only treasure that matters. See, Christ has done what heritage cannot do. He's done what success and sincere zeal cannot do. He's done what the law cannot do. He took the debt of sin, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, 
This debt that we could never repay. No matter how many assets you stack up, the debt of sin is something that is greater. And he took that debt and he nailed it to the cross. He canceled the record of debt and paid it in full by his own blood. And when faced with that reality, now we can cling to the things that we value and treasure and hold on to them. Only to find out in the end that they weren't worth quite as much as we thought. They're not going to get you anywhere. Or we can respond to the gospel with faith. Like Paul, who again, verse 8 says, considered everything else as loss and He willingly gave up all these things that he might know Christ all the more. As Paul's heart was changed by the beauty of Christ, he even calls what was once so important rubbish, excrement. It was just worthless garbage to him. You see, no longer would he boast in his family heritage or all of his religious works and zeal because they had only blinded his eyes to his own unrighteousness. But when Paul, like the man who found the treasure in the field, he saw how valuable it was. He saw that it was worth giving up all that he had once treasured to gain the true treasure of knowing Christ. And being a part of his life and experiencing all the blessings that come along with that. All that he gives in his grace. And here's the amazing thing about knowing Jesus. When you know Jesus, you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's staggering. It's amazing. Verse 9 says that we might be found in him, having a righteousness not of our own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. You know what this means? It means that we become righteous not by our value, our loveliness, our power, or our wisdom but through faith in Christ. And it's a gift of God, a gift from the God who is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more lovely, infinitely more powerful and more wise than anything else in the entire world. He paid the price in full that we might enjoy His worthiness, that we might enjoy fellowship with Him and boast in His salvation. Not only is Christ more worthy than anything else, he invites us to know him intimately and rest in his worthiness, which is far more than anything that we ever could be or do on our own. Our best cannot compare to his matchless word, but in his best, by faith in him, We are righteous in God's sight. And you know there's more. 
in gaining Christ, we find that it's not just that we're declared righteous, that we're justified. Verse 10, Paul speaks of knowing the power of Christ's resurrection and cheering in Christ's sufferings, becoming like Jesus. This is sanctification. God making us like his son. Being given the privilege of going through life and even suffering for his sake that we might become like him in his death. And we also see in verse 11, Paul trusts that he'll be raised up on the last day. The language there, you know, he kind of speaks. um, How's it go? that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead may seem kind of like, is he sure? Is he going to get there? We'll see next week. Paul again makes it clear. It's not that I have obtained this, but Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so Paul could speak of being justified, being sanctified, being glorified, raised from the dead, all because God, Jesus is worthy. When we think of that, when we recognize that, we see that nothing compares to knowing Christ and rejoicing in our relationship with Him, being able to call Him my Lord, my God, my Savior, my friend. When you know Jesus what once was so valuable to you seems like nothing compared to the surpassing value of Christ. He's the best thing. Our justification, our continuing on with Him and our sanctification as the Lord prepares us for His presence and our glorification are being raised from the dead to life with Him forever. All of this flows from an intimate relationship with the Son of God, trusting in Him alone, confident in Him and His worth. He is worthy. Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus of all surpassing worth? Do you want to know Him? Will you cast aside all self-righteousness to receive Christ's righteousness by faith? What treasures grip your heart and pull you away from the goodness of Jesus? Will you let go of them for something better, for a relationship with Christ? And trust yourself to Him today. Paul's words become your own that you could say like Him with honesty from a heart that is true to Christ. Those things that seem so glamorous I now see as just worthless garbage. 
comparison to Christ. These things that I once loved no longer hold any appeal for me, for my heart no longer loves them. And my will is no longer enslaved to them. My mind no longer wanders to them. Nothing compares to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is worth giving my all. He is worth giving our all. He is the greatest treasure, the one of all surpassing worth.